For centuries, humans have been growing alongside our botanical brethren. Our histories have mixed and mingled to bring us modern medical marvels, faded folklore, and everything in between. Of course, in order to understand the plant, we have to start with its roots. I'm M. Grebner Gaddis, and this is Rooted. Hello, and welcome back to another week of Rooted. This week, we're digging deep into a plant I've been warning you all about for ages. Peas! I'm so excited about this episode because we have so much to talk about. So without further ado, let's get digging. Peas are the most famous members of the Fabaceae or legume family, with famous family members like gorse, clover, and mimosa that we've already discussed, and all kinds of other plants that we have yet to get into. Now, you might think there are about a million different kinds of peas, but I'm here to tell you there are really only two species we interact with, Pism sativum, which are the peas you eat, and Latharis odirteris, which are sweet peas, which you should also never ever eat. We've just hybridized the heck out of these guys, which is how we have so many different pea varieties. More on that later. Both of these guys are native to the Mediterranean basin, preferring the cool season where they can really love really those tendrils and just wiggle in that refreshing sea breeze in all of their glory. They really aren't too picky about soil, as much like most of their famous family members, these guys can pretty much make any space their own by adding plenty of nitrogen back in and helping the plants around them to feel more welcome. There are ultimately three different kinds of pea. Field peas, garden peas, and edible pod peas. They all derive from that edible variety of pea I was talking about earlier, with the earliest peas we know of being field peas, that are basically just a precursor to the sweeter, more tender garden peas, then immediately followed by the newest variety of pea, edible pod peas, with the most popular variety of those, the sugar snap pea, not being introduced until 1979. But in order to understand how we got there, we'll have to start by taking a quick walk through history. So don your best hanger rock and raise your ale horn because we're going all the way back to ancient Scandinavia. In Norse mythology, it was said that peas were actually sent down as a punishment from Thor, who had grown tired of plebeians, or pebians, if you will, who didn't follow him, who were just happily existing with their wells and their crops and their perfectly fine lives. Like the audacity, right? So he decided he needed to take matters into his own hands. One day, he had an absolutely genius idea. Fill up their wells with something so small and so annoying to fish out that they would just be cursed with dirty, nasty, pea-filled wells forever. So he called in a few favors with his dragon pals and sent them off with as many peas as they could possibly carry instructing them to fill the wells of anyone who didn't worship him. This didn't have the desired effect. In fact, people loved the peas, which easily sprouted in their wells 
and produced seeds that tasted pretty good, all things considered. So they started planting whole fields, even believing that it was a gift from Thor. Like, can you imagine? This, of course, only made Thor more angry. So he did the next best thing he could come up with and unleashed an army of dwarves to destroy the pea fields. I guess you could say he was displeased with the outcome. Anyway, the dwarves apparently couldn't get to all the peas because we have records dating back to the Neolithic era that show people eating peas for at least the last 10,000 years. Although, the peas they ate back then were way different than the peas we eat now. The peas they were working with way back when were super old school field peas, which were super hard, dry, starchy balls that people would roast and peel like chestnuts. They really didn't taste like much based on the recipes that were left with them, but they were easy to grow and find and provided lots of important nutrients. So back then, no one had any real complaints. As time went on though, humans did what we do best. We started comparing notes with our friends to find out which peas were the best in terms of flavor, production, size, etc. And started mixing them all until we got something better than the sum of its parts, then rinsed and repeated about a million times. Eventually, people were absolutely obsessed with peas, with conversations about which peas were best, how to best grow them, and so on being hot topics. Sort of like chocolate and coffee are today, but you know, peas. That takes us to garden peas, starting with smooth garden peas in the early 16th century, which were sweeter and a bit softer than the field peas we had before, but still a far cry from the peas of today. The next iteration of garden pea came to us in the late 17th century when famed botanist and one-time president of the London Horticultural Society, Thomas Andrew Knight, developed what he called the wrinkled pea, a pea that was much softer and sweeter than the hard bland crusties that came before. These peas were so spectacular that everyone wanted to plant them and dubbed them Knight's Morrow Fats because they were just so luscious. I'm telling you, people were obsessed with peas, okay? It was like a thing. And before we dive into more pea history, I just want to take a second to talk about our boy Thomas, who apparently wanted to be a gardener from a young age because he saw a groundskeeper planting what he thought was a dry old stick, but was actually a beanstalk and became fascinated by plants and how they work. At one point, he apparently even planted a pocket knife, hoping that it would grow into a pocket knife tree, which has got to be one of the only cute things Victorian era children have ever done. I'm convinced the only other reason they realistically exist in literature is because they just want to haunt your dreams. Quite a while after the wrinkled pea hit the scene, Gregor Mendel came in with a new use for peas. Genetics. In the mid-1800s, he started using peas to show how genes present themselves over generations, helping to answer Darwin's questions about how evolution would work. Mendel chose peas for his infamous experiment because they were easy to grow, 
have relatively short life cycles and are self-pollinating, which made them easy to selectively breed. He took wrinkled and smooth peas, as well as tall and dwarf peas, yellow and green peas, and white and pink flowered peas, then mixed some of those together, all told breeding 29,000 pea plants to show how recessive and dominant genes show up, thus creating the foundation of modern genetics. Peas weren't just useful in helping us understand genetics, though. Peas have been used in food, soil management, and in some less conventional ways. Digging into the less conventional ways, we'll have to jump a bit back into London's Industrial Revolution. Back in those days, people needed to be up early and ready to work, but they didn't have the convenience of an alarm clock. Enter the knocker-uppers, a group of early risers for hire who would come to wake you up. This was a super popular solution to the problem of waking up in the mornings, but as you might imagine, it wasn't without its struggles. The biggest problem knocker-uppers had was that they had to be loud enough to wake up their clients but not so loud that their neighbors would hear and get woken up for free. That's where Mary Smith comes in. Perhaps the best-known knocker-upper, Mary was an older woman known for her use of peas to wake up her customers. She would spit them out of a long tube and knock gently on her clients' windows until they got up. Peas were perfect for this because they were loud enough against the window to get the customer's attention but much quieter than the small stones or other objects people used would have been. Before long, other knocker-uppers began following suit, and Mary became quite famous around London for her genius solution, even going on to be mentioned in several children's stories and articles. I'll include a photo of her on our Instagram in case you're curious. Peas were also an interesting topic in Shakespeare's work, where he would occasionally call folks peace gods or squashes, which at the time meant he was calling them pea pods or unripe pea pods if he really wanted to rub salt in the wound. Aside from insulting people, peas have also played vital roles in our history as a food source and cover crop. Pretty much every culture on every continent has at least one dish with peas, ranging from old school porridges boiled with wine to simple dishes with butter and mint, or even stir-fried pea pods. Peas are also an excellent source of both fiber and plant protein, which is one of the reasons we've started to see peas popping up in vegan substitutes like ice cream, burger patties, and more. It's also a popular substitute in gluten-free products due to the texture pea flour can lend to things without all of that pesky gluten. While most people can eat peas no problem, it turns out that some people are actually allergic to peas. Interestingly, this tends to impact folks whose ancestors were from the very region that peas originated from, the Mediterranean basin. This allergy is caused by a genetic deficiency of the enzyme glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase, which results in the body being unable to process peas appropriately. Even though not everyone can enjoy the culinary aspects of peas, I think we can all appreciate the ways we've grown alongside them. From divine punishment to designer delicacy, peas have come a long way from those tough starchy balls that were sent to teach us a lesson.
Next time you see a pea, I hope you'll think a little bit more about all the things they've taught us and all we can still learn about leaving things better than we found them. I've honestly barely scratched the surface of all of these guys have to offer, and I'm now a massive fan of peas. So we might have to do a bonus episode on them in the future. We'll see. But for the sake of your brains and mine, that's all I've got for you this week. But I'll be back at you soon with even more facts and fictions about the plants you know and love. If you like the show, please consider subscribing and leaving us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at rooted.pod, we're on YouTube at rooted.podcast, and you can check out our website, rootedpod.com, for transcripts, updates, and so much more. Special thanks to Eric Cluxon for writing and performing our theme music, and of course, a special thank you to all of you for being here. Until next time, be kind to yourselves, be kind to the earth, and just like a plant, drink your water. <laughs>